I got to tell you guys the craziest, <clears throat> the craziest thing that happened this morning. Um, we've got a number of uh, people staying with us, and, and one of the guys staying with us, Mike Neglia, Mike's a good friend, um, he went on a run this morning, and, you know, he said, I'm going to go run a mile or two, or, you know, you know, you figure he'll be back in a half hour or something. So he didn't come back, didn't come back, didn't come back. We just got a call from the hospital. He was hit by a car when he was running this morning. And so evidently they're going to have to do MRIs and stuff. Um, it seems like maybe something with his neck or back or something like that. So just let's pray for him. Uh, but, you know, he, he said, oh, could you call and tell him I don't think I'm going to be able to do my workshop today. So that was his uh, main concern. <laughs> so. Hey everyone, welcome to Vox Hibernia. My name is Ricky and I produce this podcast. And today I actually have a special episode for you. That clip that you just heard was taken from a pastor's conference in California from about a year ago. I was actually watching it live as it happened from here in Ireland. And it's when I first heard that my good friend, pastor, and of course the host of this podcast, Mike, got hit by a car. And it was just a surreal experience of hearing this news coming from halfway across the world about Mike. And in the days that followed, information about what had happened slowly began to trickle into us here in Cork. But it was all just still a bit hazy. In fact, even when Mike returned home a few months later, we still didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. Because there was a lot of things that Mike just didn't remember. So we began to interview people who were with him in California and a few people from here in Cork about what happened from their perspectives. And as this new information came in, the haze surrounding the car accident began to lift and we were able to get a better picture of how the story actually unfolded. And for this episode of Vox Hibernia, I wanted to share that story with you. So here's how it happened. So I woke up on Wednesday, the 28th, put on my jogging clothes, um, kind of walked around the house. There was, I think, like five or six uh of us guys all staying at the same house. Asked a few of the guys, are you sure you don't want to go jogging with me? Uh, nobody did. I made the decision to leave my phone at home. Usually I jog with my phone on, wearing headphones so I can listen to music or a podcast. But I thought, you know, it'd be good just to just to be, you know, silent. And there's something nice about just running and just hearing your own breath and um, not having a podcast on in the background or or, uh, or music. And so I uh, left the house just jogging around the neighborhood. Um, I remember I ran till I came to a cul-de-sac. I turned around and then it kind of fed me out into uh, the main street. And so I'm running along the footpath uh, by the main street, just kind of going over my workshop in, in my head, thinking about it, just praying a bit. Um, I did it the day before, trying to think about how to do it better. And I remember coming up to an intersection, uh, and this is about as far as my, my memory actually goes. I remember coming to the intersection. I remember just trying to decide, okay, will I turn right and continue along the footpath and, and skip the intersection? But then I saw that there was, um, on the other side, that there was a, another footpath, and then there was grass along the side. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll go straight through this intersection and then go on to the grass there. And that's the last thing that I remember. Hi, uh, my name is Joy Balta. I'm Lebanese-American. I teach in UCC Human Anatomy in the medical school. 
I've been in Quark for five years uh, and I've been going to Calvary since. I'm involved in the leadership of the um, Young Adults Ministry. Yeah, and uh, usually I go home every summer. And this summer, around June, I was I was in California, um, and we were both going to attend. Well, I was going to attend the workshop that Mike was giving on the twenty eighth. And on that day, um, woke up pretty early to make it there on time. I was texting Mike that I woke up, uh, I'm on my way, and didn't hear anything back. I made it to the conference, and yeah, I just walked into the conference. There was some brief announcement there. I didn't really hear what it was. But I ended with just keep praying for him. And I sat down and um, there was the first workshop that was 10, 15 minutes. And then Brian came up and announced that that Mike was uh, Mike was taken to the hospital. And I actually was texting Mike to see where he was because I was look, kind of looking out for him. And then I was like, that's the same person I'm texting. It's Mike Neglia. He's in hospital. What? It just didn't make any sense to me. So I kind of panicked. Um, rushed outside and I went outside trying to find someone that I know yeah and I saw Wavy and Kellen and I was like what is happening like where is Mike and they told me that he's at a hospital nearby got the address I I just couldn't like didn't really understand what was happening wasn't really couldn't even imagine what was going to be what it was going to be like at the hospital so driving pretty fast got there um trying to find where Mike was and in the lobby, I was walking past a couple of guys, all had tattoos, all had big beards. And then I spotted someone that I kind of know. Um, and I think it was Clay. My name is Clay Worrell. I am the, currently the lead pastor of Calvary Tri-Valley in the Bay Area near San Francisco in a city called Pleasanton. I spent eight years in Ireland, in which time I was the founding pastor and lead pastor of Calvary Waterford and Waterford City. Um, Mike Neglia is, um, I would consider him my best friend, and we've been friends for, oh, probably seven years or no, eight years or so at this point. We were in Orange County for the pastor's conference in Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. Uh, we were both staying at um, our friend's house, the Brodersons, and and as we were getting ready to go to the conference for the day, Mike decided to go out for a jog. I remember giving him a hard time for going jogging because he hasn't been jogging much recently. And um, he ensured us that he was just going to go for a quick mile jog or so and be right back. So we waited patiently and we're drinking coffee and after about an hour it really got time for us to go to the conference and um, we had a moment of thinking well I sure hope nothing bad happened but we assumed that he had just gotten lost so we went um, got in the truck and decided that we were going to go drive around and look for him on our way to the conference well as we got in the truck um, we got a phone call from Brian Broderson um, somebody had called the church and told him that Mike was hit by a car and was um, headed to the hospital. We didn't actually know how bad it was at that point. My mind kind of went to the worst case scenario immediately. Um, my heart sunk and the blood rushed out of my face and I started to get very concerned um, immediately. Um, our good friend Char actually assumed that it was something more minor. Um, he said, oh, he probably just got bumped and we're going to go pick him up, you know. 
But regardless, we started to pray and make phone calls. And we found out that he was at a different hospital than we assumed he was at. So we headed there as quickly as we could. In that time, we didn't know anything, but we obviously knew that Rachel needed to be informed. Um, so uh, Connor, who was with us, um, Connor Berry, um, his wife, Hannah, is uh, very, very close friends with with Rachel. So I suggested that, that Connor get in touch with Hannah and have Hannah call Rachel, which she did. Um, and uh, immediately we, we started planning um, to get Rachel out here as, as soon as possible. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm Mike's wife. I've been married for 13 years now. So just a little bit of um, backstory on what happened um, when I found out about Mike's accident. So it was evening here in Cork, and I happened to look at my phone, and across the top of the screen, there was an email because my phone is still linked to Mike's um, email address. And across the top, it just said, hey, Mike, what hospital are you in? And it was one of the guys out in um, in Costa Mesa. And I was like, that's weird. What's he doing visiting somebody in a hospital? Oh, how kind of him. What a noble pastoral thing for him to do. And I, that just kind of went through my brain. Just I only had a couple of minutes to even think about it. And then I got a Voxer from a really good friend of mine in California. And it just said, urgent. And I was like, okay. So then I, you know, quickly picked up my phone to listen to her message. And it was my really good friend, Hannah, who's married to one of Mike's best friends, Connor. And they were out at the pastor's conference. And she was like, okay, Mike has been in an accident. He was hit by a car. We are rushing to the emergency room right now. So they were on their way to the hospital. So basically, over the next, I don't know, probably 45 minutes, I was just given a play-by-play -play of, we're pulling up to the hospital now. Okay, we're going inside now. Okay, he's not there anymore. They've moved, or not in the emergency room. They've moved him over to critical care. And I was like, oh my gosh. Because um, at first, I'm like, okay, he's, you know, he was hit by a car. That's horrible. But it's fine. He'll be okay. Um, and I think it was at that moment when she was telling me that they moved him over to critical care that I realized, okay, this is really serious. And so I probably had about three minutes of thinking, he might not actually live. And that was, of course, really, really scary and horrible. Hey, my name's Char Broderson, and I'm a pastor of a church up in Northern California called Refuge Christian Fellowship. I'm a good friend of Mike Neglia's and Clay Worrell, and I um, want to share a little bit about my perspective on what happened to Mike. And uh, probably right around the time that the accident happened, my mom read these words to us, and it says, He gives more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sends more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he adds his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our store of resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that your need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father, both you and your load, will uphold. His love is no limits, His grace is no measure, His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He gives and gives and gives again. And we heard those words and we just thought, wow, those words are 
insanely powerful, just incredible words. Little did we know that these were going to be such prophetic and profound words for the next uh, few days that were before us. As we got in the car, I received a phone call from the church where the conference was letting us know that Mike was indeed in the hospital because he had been hit by a car. So immediately, it just, it sounded um, like he had gotten, how he had been clipped by a car. It sounded minor. I mean, just the fact that just we got this information so fast, it, it, it didn't seem like it could be serious. But the, the closer we got to the hospital where Mike was being held, um, the more serious the situation became and uh, the more serious our tone. And we just immediately started praying just for God's mercy, for a miracle, for preservation over Mike. And, you know, just all of a sudden, all these fears began flooding in of what this actually could be. You know, just the fear of the unknown when you're in moments like that. And so we made our way to the hospital and we were met there by numerous friends who were very close to Mike, uh, Connor Barry, Keith was with us, uh, me and Clay were there together, uh, Joy was there, um, Connor's dad, and Hannah was there, and um, Stretch was there. I mean, there were multiple people there already, and, and we had actually beat Mike to the UCI, uh, or excuse me, the um, ICU unit. And so we, as soon as we got there, we just all started praying together, just asking the Lord just to preserve Mike's life and protect him. And so uh, a few minutes later, they wheeled Mike in, and we were so incredibly glad to see that he was conscious, that he was aware, that he recognized us as he came in. I mean, this is probably all blurry now to him, but it was just such an answer to prayer that, um, that when he was wheeled in, he, he recognized our faces. He asked, uh, you know what was going on and we told him that Rachel was flying out and he was worried about you know her flying out and I mean just his awareness of the situation just brought such hope to us and so it kind of began from that moment that the Lord answered our prayer that Mike was conscious that he was alive that you know he wasn't dead and all these things that we were praying for it just kind of became I guess just kind of one great prayer request after another we you know okay, he's alive and, and, and he's, he's conscious, so he doesn't have brain damage, but we started praying because, you know, maybe he's paralyzed or, you know, and I remember Clay kept on praying, we pray for no broken bones, Lord, we pray for no broken bones. And, and he just kept praying that again and again and again. And it was just incredible because as the doctors kept bringing us news during that day, and I mean, it was a long day just sitting there, just praying and agonizing. And it, um, but it was just like the Lord just answered one prayer after another. And we just could not believe uh, just the graciousness, the mercy of God to just answer these prayers, how he just radically preserved Mike's life. Um, but it was incredible because as we waited in this in this room, and, and again, I mean, at this point, we really didn't have a whole lot of answers, but th we just turned that room into... Um, we turned it into a sanctuary, a place of prayer. And we were just praying for Mike. We were praying for Rachel. We were praying for the kids. We were praying for one another. Um, and as, you know, each person kind of had to go back home over that course of time to go back to ministry and back to life at home, we were praying for one another, lifting one another up in prayer. And so it was just such this binding, amazing experience to be together at the hospital and spending so much time in prayer and encouraging one another. Um, 
one of the highlights for me was on that first day, um, I got to go in and be with Mike and I got to, uh, I got to sing with him. Uh, he requested a song. And what I found is when in my life, um, I went through a pretty heavy situation actually three years ago uh, where my daughter was in the hospital. Uh, six days after she was born, she had open heart surgery. And I found that the Lord gave me a song that really comforted me in all of that. And it was the song, How Firm a Foundation. You know, this promise of God's preservation and that whatever trial is happening in our life is for our sanctification. God is using it to refine us. And so I found that, that, that songs often are the things that come to us uh, as well as verses. But um, for me, it's always been a hymn has come to me in, in moments of trial and hardship. And so um, there was a hymn that was just in Mike's head. It was in my head. Um, found out that it was going on in, in even Nathan's mind back in Ireland. And it's just so cool. So it was the hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I had this amazing privilege of being there with my friend, Mike, in, in his um, intensive care unit singing him this song as he's you know got a cast and he's got stitches in his forehead and he's got a brace around his neck and he's just laying there helpless i was able to sing him these this song and here's the words when i fear my faith will fail christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast i can never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me fast. And the chorus reads, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For me, it was that line. I, I won't read the whole thing, but it was that line. Um, I could never keep my hold. And I mean, like how incredibly true for Mike in this situation. I mean, what a freak accident, you know, uh, being hit by this car kind of out of nowhere, not even remembering the situation and how it happened, but just how life throws these circumstances at us. Like, how could we believe that it's about us and about us holding on to God or us being in control? It is all about God holding us fast and us simply trusting in that, trusting in the faithfulness of God. So what, a, what an incredible moment just to sing that with my friend who's going through this. And these be, kind of became the mantra, if you will, of our time in the hospital and, and, and of the season for Mike, just Christ will hold me fast. In the lobby, I was walking past a couple of guys, all had tattoos, all had big beards. And then I spotted someone that I kind of know. Um, and I think it was Clay. He told me that Mike is in the um, in the uh, ER. So obviously, I just went straight away to the ER. And um, yeah, and as soon as I walked in, Mike was there. Um, I was pretty nervous what to say or what 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 should I do. Um, so I was like, "How are you?" <laughs> and yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. Obviously, I knew what was the answer, but that was the first thing that came to mind. And Mike was like. I'm alive. Um, that was the first thing he said. And um, yeah, and then as soon as I got there, he put me um, in touch with the medical team as his medical representative. And the nurse brought me outside and she told me that they had the CT done and they have the results. And because everything, everything was quite vague on the kind of medical condition. So the nurse kind of made it clear that there is a fracture in the cervical spine and there is a fracture in the sacrum, in the lower back. So these two things were confirmed. Um, yeah, were confirmed at the time. So 
I walked back to Mike's room trying to talk to him about it um, and see what he knows. And the first thing he asked me was, will I be able to walk again? Wasn't sure what am I supposed to say? But I could see that he was able to move his fingers and his toes. It means that um, there's no damage. There's no permanent damage in the nerves. So I basically told him that I don't think so. Um, I don't think that there's permanent damage. You will be able to walk. And then um, Mike, obviously at the time, they were doing a lot of scans and he had the brace and he was really thirsty. And he was trying to get me to um, give him water. He wasn't allowed to have a lot of water. Um, he was given a sponge that he had to suck on to get some water. So my ethical background, trying to like, no, you shouldn't give him water. But then I managed to use the um, the lid of the bottle and kind of a couple of drops. He wanted more. And I think I was like, put my foot down. I was like, no, you're not having more. I don't know how he felt about that. Um, so yeah, so that was the kind of the initial part uh, when we had the CT results. And I went outside. Um, I met more of Mike's friends, um, Connor, Char, Clay, um, and their family, some of their families as well. And I was explaining to them kind of what I heard, what I just heard from the from the doctors and was trying to talk to Mike's dad and Rachel and try to explain what was the kind of medical condition. So that was that was in pre in the morning, early in the morning. The day um, passed by with Mike resting and all of that. And then they had to do a lot of scans in between. So they did an MRI scan um, towards the evening time and we were waiting for the results. So towards the evening time, um, we went, we were in, obviously we were in the, um, in the waiting room and the doctors called me back again and um, called me into the room with Mike and the surgeon was there and he had the results and basically he was like, so we have the results and um, after all that, all that um, accident where the car was going so fast, Mike was hit um, pretty far away there is not a single broken bone in his body. Both Mike and I were looking at each other, um, being like, what? Like, come again? Um, we just we just didn't understand what was going on. So after getting the MRI results, um, when the doctor told us that there are no uh, broken bones in the body, so we have two stories. In the morning, um, the CT results, there was a report that there were fractures in the um, neck region and in the lower back um, while in the evening um, the MRI results said that there is nothing and looking at it as a scientist where we look at experiments uh, we have two sets of results um, that aren't consistent one had something one didn't have something and there is no explanation to that so at least in my personal opinion something happened there something supernatural um, that I could call a miracle um, that we had uh, a broken or fractures in the bone on the CT that we were able to visibly diagnose and report in the morning while in the evening on the MRI scans we weren't able to see. So that was amazing. Um, the doctors had a bit of other news to say. Um, they wanted to meet the next day. Um, so the next next morning, uh, obviously we were, we've been around the... Um, the waiting room for a while people were there um, we were talking to people people were we were seeing each other all day and um, there was I remember this um, little boy um, who had his uncle in the in the hospital and 
his auntie came over the next morning and his mom and he pointed him pointed us out and he was like auntie this is the these are the guys that their friend gave his life to the lord and god healed him yesterday and it's pretty amazing to hear from a 10 year old telling his auntie um that god did a miracle yesterday to this person who gave his life to the lord so that was amazing to to witness over there um at the time just being there the boy being there seeing us praying at times seeing us crying at times um yeah as like adults with beards and tattoos <laughs> just sitting there crying and praying i think th- yeah made a bit of an influence on him hi my name is nathan king i'm from cork um born and raised here in ireland been serving in calvary cork for as an elder for about two years and been coming to this church for about six or seven years during the summer of 2017 uh, i was the only elder on um on staff or only elder serving Calvary Cork and it was uh, the Wednesday and I was in Mike's office I'd taken over his office while he was away and I was studying and I got a message and I can't remember who was the first person to contact me but I got a message saying that Mike may have been in an accident and I was like "Why? okay what's going on here uh, then got a phone call from my wife that uh, I'd seen an Instagram post and, and and pretty quickly afterwards there was knocks on the door of the office that someone else had had seen something on Instagram or heard something from a friend of a friend. And, and, and then uh, as the situation began to unfold, more and more messages and voxes and, uh, started coming in. And, and, and the picture that was being painted was pretty grave that Mike was in a, a very serious car accident. He was hit by a car while running uh, uh, and was in a bad condition. And I guess what followed was um, a few days and a few nights of getting messages from the U.S., uh, which is the middle of the night uh, in Ireland and being woken up by news. And, 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 and the situation was still unfolding. We were still discovering uh, what really happened, still discovering the extent of his injuries. It was, it was so live in America and, uh, and delayed, I guess, um, I guess, being communicated to us in, in Ireland. So as the situation unfolded, we, we just weren't sure how he was we weren't sure was he going to walk again uh we weren't sure well i wasn't sure i never communicated but i wasn't sure would he ever be back again and that first sunday coming back together um as a congregation everyone had known uh, our pastor was in a bad way everyone knew i guess some of the story at least we talked about how our pastor was doing we talked about the situation um and yeah we heard about how god is a gracious god uh, and we prayed together and it was just a just a beautiful outpouring of 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 unity and love um for mike and for for rachel Owen and rosie and uh yeah i was i was so overwhelmed by it but it was a, such a beautiful time um but the congregation just came out of nowhere came out and just uh, stepped up, covered this, covered that. We're there financially for the Neglias. We're there with with prayers of support. We're there sending messages. We're there um, 
for for anything they could do they were doing and they were just there um just supporting and loving I guess me loving the church caring for the church and and caring for the neglers who were all those miles away and as well as that hearing news of support from all over the world prayers coming in from all over Europe um and all over the states um this just I guess outpouring of support from churches far and wide from churches in in our Cork City churches um that we would have good ties with in Cork City churches that we would have would know but have loose ties and just this um support coming just from all over the place so that first night that I found out everything was so crazy and I um, got on the phone to British Airways to try to book the next available ticket, the next available flight out of Cork to LA. And it was really stressful. I was on the phone for over an hour. Um, and then when I found out how much it was going to cost, I was just astounded. And I realized there is not much I can do about this. I have to get on the next flight tomorrow. I absolutely have to. And I'm not going to say, oh, it's too expensive. I just won't join my husband who's dying in California. <laughs> um, so I had to just go, go for it. And what was so amazing is that our really good friends, Connor and Hannah, Hannah was the one that I was talking to the whole time on Voxer. And she's the one that told me in the first place. Um, straight away, they said, don't even worry, our church is totally going to cover it. And it was just such a blessing um, knowing that I didn't even have to worry about that. Just immediately those those practical needs were being met without me having to ask, without me even having to think about it. And it was just so, so nice um, that we were surrounded by friends that weren't just praying for us and, you know, encouraging us, but they were being such practical servants and knowing and seeing needs before we even saw them. So that was that was incredible and really humbling as well. Um and then it was really, really nice. One of the the one one of the good things about social media is that everyone found out so quickly without me having to tell them. So I had a ton of people from the church come over that night and stop by with cards and food and money and just hugging me and praying for me and everyone knew just to stop by briefly, be super encouraging and then go because obviously I had a lot to do. I had to pack up everything. I had to find somewhere to put the dog for an unspecified amount of time. And um, But Jacqueline came over, my best friend from church, and um, she just helped me do everything. She helped me pack. She was kind of my brain. She's like, you need this and this and this. Um, she reminded me to bring my medical records with me because I'm pregnant and she knew I'd probably have to see a doctor over there. So that was great. But the support was so overwhelming. I mean, I had gone from being completely alone, what's going on, to just um, so many people from church coming over and just being so, so kind. So that was that was an upside. It was really hard to sleep that night. Um as you can imagine, I think I was woke up twice just from my heart beating so fast. And um, But then the great thing is I was able to get on the next flight in the morning and fly over. And at that point, um, I, you know, he was, he was stable. And so I was able to get on the plane knowing that at least that his condition was, was okay. So I landed in LA and I pretty much held it together 
on that whole 11 hour flight. But the last 20 minutes, I started realizing, okay, none of this has been in my control, but running through the airport and getting through security as fast as I can, like that's something that I can do that will mean I get to the hospital faster. So um, right before we had to put on our seatbelts for landing, I just called over one of the stewardesses on the airplane and I explained my situation. And of course, once I opened my mouth, I started sobbing and then they all gathered around me and ushered me up to first class, which was so nice. They put me in seat number one and they said, nobody can get off until you get off and you just run through. And I was like, okay. And so they gave me water and Kleenex and they put me up there. It was only for 20 minutes. I should have started crying a lot earlier, but um, well, and so as soon as we landed, they made sure I got off first, which was so nice. And I was able to rush through security and everything. And my brother was waiting for me there in LA at the airport. And he took me straight to the hospital. At this point, it was probably, could have been nine o'clock at night. So this is the evening of the second day. Mike had been hit at around 7.30 in the morning on Wednesday. And this is Thursday night. So it's taken me two days to get there. Um and it was so nice. Even as we were driving, I was able to text with some of the guys that were with him. And they were like, we're going to go get you food. What would you like? And everyone was just being so kind. Anyway, got to the hospital. Um, I remember it was really dark. It took me a while to like find the room and everything. And um, his room was all dark. And he had a bunch of guys, I think, gathered around the bed and some of them out in the corridor. My sister, I think both my sisters were there and um, there was lying in the bed and I couldn't see him very well at first, but all I wanted to do was just like wrap my arms around him and just climb into the bed and just kind of just lay there. Um, I was so like emotionally exhausted and physically exhausted and just so, so, so happy to see him. And I didn't know like, can I hug you? Like, can I can I touch your head? It was all covered in blood. It was just so, it was so, so awful, but I had seen pictures, so I was prepared. And, um, and it was just so good to be with him. All I wanted on that whole airplane ride over was just to be next to him, just to be with him, not to even say anything or do anything. I just wanted to be there by his side. Um, so that's what I did. I just couldn't really talk and I just kind of, yeah, lay there next to him for a while. And then, um, I think, and then the guys, one of them, Clay, came over and he's like, well, time to give you Mike's wedding ring. So I thought that was very symbolic. He had been hold holding on to that as he was helping to look after Mike for those first couple of days. And then he handed it over to me. So I was, I was officially the spouse again, <laughs> which was nice. And um, yeah, it was just very overwhelming. And there were so many people there that I don't even remember. I just remember him being there and just wanting to be with Mike and just being so glad to be there. But he was exhausted, um, obviously. And he had been staying up for me, which was so sweet. Like we'd been texting on the drive down with the guys there and they're like, okay, he's kind of falling in and out of sleep, but he's really trying to stay awake for you. So that was really, really nice because I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to see him awake so badly. So yeah, it was amazing just being able to be with him again. So in the in the weeks following after we finally got out of the hospital and were staying at the Bible College in Marietta, um, um, some verses that God really impressed on my heart and my mind are from Psalm 46. Somebody had handed me a little devotional on Psalm 46. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the classic, you know, be still and know that I am God. Okay. And I just kind of set it aside. 
And it was a few days later that I picked it up and I started going through it. And then that Sunday, we went to church and um, the teaching was the entire Psalm 46. And I was like, okay, God, you're definitely you're definitely trying to tell me something here. But what really stuck out to me and what kind of was um, just the verses that played over and over in my mind, I think the whole time we were there, verse one of Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help and trouble. And then it kind of repeats itself a few times at the end and says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And it says that again at the end, that he's with us and he's our fortress. And that was so encouraging to me first, that he is our refuge and strength, because I felt like those were the two things that I needed. I needed a refuge. I needed like a home. I needed a place where I could go to um, and just being reminded over and over that the Lord is my refuge. And then I needed strength so, so badly um, just to, I mean, honestly, just to get through the day to day. It was not just Mike being in an accident and being unable to do most things, but it was also having a two-year-old and a son with autism and I was pregnant. So I, I felt like I had pretty much zero strength um, emotionally and physically. I It was so hot and I just felt absolutely zapped of all strength. So it was really encouraging just to remember that God is my strength. And um, and then also that He is with me and that He's my fortress. Just a beautiful picture of not being alone and being in a, such a strong place when I was with Him. So that was really, really encouraging. And I love that it came up a few different times just throughout that whole sort of time that we spent in California. Super, super encouraging to me. And I was really thankful that God gave me those verses because I didn't really have the energy to look for much else. So I was able just to cling to those for that for that month, month and a half, two months that we were there. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. It was a long time in the making, but I'm so glad to be able to finally share it with you all. It's been amazing just being able to look back on this past year and the accident and just see how God had his hand over the whole situation and saw Mike and his family through such a tough time and was with them each and every step of the way. A year has passed now since it happened and Mike is back and feeling better than ever. And in fact, in our next episode, I'm going to sit down with him and talk about some of the lessons he's learned in this past year. And um, yeah, we know that not everything was covered in this episode and we want to give you guys the opportunity to ask him some questions yourself. So if there's anything that you want to know more about regarding the accident or what happened since, you can send your questions to us on Twitter or Instagram at Vox Hibernia Pod, and I'll be sure to include them in the next episode. Thanks so much for all your love and support. And if you want to help us out, you can go rate us on iTunes and spread the word through social media. Catch you later, guys.